0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and roll fans. Welcome to the 39th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And I gotta tell you, The Wolf thanks you for tuning in. You know, Action Jackson and I love talking about rock music, the stuff that moved us when we lived together back in the 90s, the stuff that we've learned about since, the stuff that we loved growing up. And right now, that writing on the wall video and song by Iron Maiden just has us brimming with excitement. We can't wait for Senjutsu to come out on September 3rd so we can hear the whole album in its entirety. And it's really got us on this Iron Maiden kick. It's inspired us to really go back and listen to a bunch of the old stuff and remind us why we got into Iron Maiden in the first place. What did we like about them? Where did it all start for us? And for us, it started in college in the fall of 1991 where a friend let us borrow the seventh son of a Seventh Son album. Their seventh by Iron Maiden. And a bit of a departure. Look, on the sixth album, which we reviewed on episode 38 last week, Somewhere in Time, they started to experiment with some synths. And for the longest time everyone always said you cannot include synthesizers and keyboards in heavy metal. But Iron Maiden are barrier breakers, right? They are the leaders of the pack. They're disruptors and they're immensely talented. So they decided, hey, you know what? Let's experiment and see where it goes. Somewhere in Time was a great record and I hope you can listen to our episode uh, on that one if you're just hearing this for the first time. But they took it to the next level with Seven Sons and Seven Sun and really there's keyboards and synths all over this thing, which I think turned off some people in America. The thing went gold. It didn't go platinum like the previous records had in the U.S. I think it still did very well around the world. It was the last time we saw the classic lineup for more than a decade. And we'll get into all that here on the show. Now for a little housekeeping, please follow us on Twitter. We're at Ugly underscore Werewolf and at ActionJack72. Please let us know which bands and which albums you want to hear us talk about. if you want to hear all past episodes, you can go to W www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn.com Of course, you could download and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever you might get them. So join us as we continue to reminisce about Iron Maiden, how we found the band, what they mean to us, as we review their classic album, 7th Son of a 7th Son, right here on The Wolf.
2: Okay, so
0: before we get into Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, I guess we have to talk about the fact that I was supposed to go see Bruce Dickinson speak at Shepherd's Bush this past week. It was supposed to be on a Tuesday, and on Monday I got a note saying, hey, in Bruce's immediate circle tested positive, and so the show is postponed because he has to self-isolate. Then, of course, a couple days after that, it was Bruce has tested positive despite being double vaccinated. Of course, he came out with a statement saying, hey, it's a good thing I was double vaccinated because I could be really sick if I wasn't, or I could be in dire health. And obviously, I want him to recover. I want whoever was in the circle, if it was a family member, whoever it was, to come through this okay. And I just got to tell you, it was disappointing. It kind of sucks. Like, I'm gonna finally get to go out and do something I want to do. I had to make sure I had my little COVID passport on my phone to do so. I went around looking for Trooper beer so I could get jazzed up for it. And then, and sorry, how about two months from now when we'll probably be back in lockdown?
1: How do you think I feel? I wanted to hear all about it. This was terrible, terrible for everybody. But that does stink. I mean, I hope that he does get better. I think it just proves that if you think we're out of the woods on this, we are not. I mean, this is something we need to take very seriously. And yeah, just take all the precautions. But yeah, just when you think you're back, boom, they pull the rug out from under
0: you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, but
1: you said they did they did reschedule though, right?
0: Yeah, they rescheduled pretty quickly. I, I think it was like October the 12th or somewhere thereabouts. I mean, it was basically two months later they, they put it on there. So, I mean, he's, he'd already done, I feel like he had done this tour of the UK all but like two shows, the one in London and the one in Birmingham. Yeah, he would have been on stage just spewing COVID right at all of us, but uh, <laughs> I probably still would have gone, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not a joke. I mean, we can joke about being disappointed uh, and all that. But, I mean, it's still taking lives. It's still getting people sick. And obviously, even if you've been vaccinated, you can get it. Now, Hopefully, you don't get it as badly and you recover. But, it, you know, it's still out there and you still got to be careful.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And this was going to be a speaking engagement in, like, a theater. I mean, what if I go to the O2 to see Genesis? Even if everybody in there is vaccinated, there are going to be people in there who have it. There are going to be people in there spreading it so I you know I don't know as much as I want to go back and see live music as badly as I want to do it and as long as I've been waiting especially for something like Genesis I don't think I'm going to take my daughter who is unvaccinated I think I'm going to take my wife who is because that just makes more sense to me
1: yeah yeah and so what's the age there is it under 12 that you can't get vaccinated
0: I mean we may still be trying to get uh, everyone over 18 there's still a lot of 20 somethings who aren't doing it well I think the UK's done a brilliant job of getting you know everyone over a certain age done and, and double vaccinated, there's still a lot of, you know, resistant twenty somethings who just aren't doing it. I think it's I think it's available to everyone over eighteen right now, but I don't know that there's anybody, you know, teenagers or younger who are getting any unless you have some kind of a special special medical condition or special case.
1: Yeah, I talked to a guy that I worked kind of with last week. I hadn't talked to him for a while and I said, Oh, you know, are you gonna be going to this event that we're gonna have in November? It's like well, I can't go because company policy is that I uh, you can't travel if you're not vaccinated. And, you know, I haven't got the vaccination yet. I'm on, and I was just, I could feel myself just pulling away from the conversation like, okay, uh huh, all mm. right, yeah, super. Anyway, because you're an idiot. <laughs> too good of an idea yeah uh, no, look,
0: for the people who don't think it's fully developed or fully formed maybe you're onto something they did it awfully quickly they didn't put as much time into maybe the jonas salk you know polio vaccination uh, but they have a lot better technology today my thing is if i get it can i go do stuff that i want to do like travel or maybe go to a show yes okay then let me in i'll, I'll right. do it if i get the vaccination will i be less sick what is there a less likely chance of my dying if I get it. Absolutely yes. Okay then. Because eventually most all of us are going to get it. So wouldn't you mm-hmm. rather have something to keep you from dying from it? You know, I mean, if, if you Correct. knew you were going to get cancer and they had a thing you could take where it's like, okay, well you're still going to have to go through chemo and all that, but we, you won't die. Wouldn't you take it? Absolutely. Anyway, let's let's talk about happier things like Iron Maiden and Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, the seventh album released by the boys, and the one that really got me turned on to Iron Maiden. Our friend Rob let us borrow uh, Seventh Son on disc. Freshman year, I remember taking it back to the dorm and listening to it. I'm like, wow, would you listen to this? And us guitar heads who love lead guitar and love shredding guitar and hot solos, and they mix in a little keyboard, a little prog, which I guess was problematic for some metal heads. But to me, it was like, nah, it just made it sound even more operatic. It gave it more majesty and a bigger sound. And I was like, wow. This Iron Maiden that they kept me from all these years are actually pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, and as I as we talked about in on the uh, Somewhere in Time episode, this was the first... I mean, I had heard of Maiden before. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Number of the Beast, gotcha. Uh, Run to the Hills, got it. But this was the first. It was this album and then the accompanying uh, VHS tape, Maiden mm-hmm. England, that really got me into this. And and Maiden England had the, some of the older stuff on there, and you could really kind of see them in concert mm-hmm. what it was like to be there and yeah this was the this was the first entryway into into the world of iron maiden for me and going back and watching it again especially the Maiden england dickinson is a beast on stage to think that he could do that night in and night out and i was reading some stuff about the about dvd that they put out or actually VHS. Mm-hmm. i guess he was sick that night he had something wrong with him a cold or something and he's still out there just ripping it up where most people be like, I'm sick. I can't go to work. Yeah. Nope. Show must go on.
0: That's that's unbelievable. And you're right about Bruce. The way he commands the stage and runs around everywhere. The way he digs deep to. Bolt out those songs Especially on Seventh Son Of a Seventh Son That's impossible to sing Especially after you, You've you already done An hour of an Iron Maiden show And then you sing that To dig deep to, to pull all that out Is is unbelievable And when he's Sitting on the razor's edge Or standing on the razor's edge He's on the monitor On one foot Balancing for the crowd I'm like you know, Most people just stand Behind the yep. mic stand And sing that But he's really Acting it out And the stage From this one Was killer With the ice They brought it back for the made in england tour in 2012 2014 which i was lucky enough to see a couple times we can talk about that later but the way they really incorporated Derek riggs artwork into the stage not just the big eddie behind them but into the stage that was amazing and uh, the tour was incredibly successful the album didn't do quite as well in america as Somewhere in Time in some of the previous albums had done. And maybe didn't even do quite as well in England and some parts of the world. And, and I think there was some backlash with the keyboard thing or the prog feel to it. But you couldn't deny the stage show. It was unbelievable played over two million people on that tour and like you said they made that great vhs which steve harris essentially directed when putting it together he wanted to have a feel of an iron maiden show from the fans point of view and it shows you just how amazing they were live
1: well the thing the thing that really stuck out for me a couple things number one adrian smith and his i don't know what he was doing some kind of like power mullet Mm. That was disturbing. That was, that was pure out of the trailer park hairstyling. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like short and spiky on top, very long in the back. I don't know why i thought that was a good idea, but I'm glad those days are gone. But the other thing that stuck out for me was that guitar that he plays. That Jackson. Mm-hmm. That it's a Strat, but it's it's made by Jackson or Charvel. I think they're the same company now. That is a flame thrower. He gets that thing going. That's a real. It's 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 not real flat. It's white. With a black pickguard There's nothing flashy about it But man He makes that thing Smoke on stage
0: Yeah I mean that's the thing Seeing them trade back and forth on the, When you listen to the album You can kind of hear Okay that's one guitarist Now it's the other one But to see you know Which one is which yep. And then you can really get a feel For what's a Davey solo And what's an Adrian solo It makes a lot of It makes a big difference I agree with you When I was watching Made in England I'm like God Adrian's hair is horrible I mean at least Dave Has just basically got <laughs> Long hair right And, and, and Bruce Bruce is a little bit Of a moment. Mul- but, but but Bruce is is such a badass, and he's very athletic, and you know is is cool. But Adrian says, yeah, it's it's really bad. You know, I, I kind of feel bad for him. Like, and that,
1: that wasn't it. wasn't like. It wasn't like you needed a haircut. It was that was a purposeful somebody. He went in and somebody cut his hair like that on purpose. And yeah, it's yeah. Dave has long hair. Steve has pretty much had the same hair since nineteen eighty. I mean, right. it's just long hair. Mm-hmm. Bruce had that kind of like bang cut, right? And then Nico, well, Nico's just always had long hair with the ponytail in the back, right? Yeah, it was it was bad. I don't think Dave Murray does. He own a shirt with sleeves in it. I don't, I don't think, so. think. Well, I don't know. I've, I've seen him play seen
0: golf him with sleeves. sleeves. Actually, yeah, because I've, I've he's a bit of a golfer.
1: But but not but on stage. I think stage. that's just required. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: You can't come into the club without sleeves. All right, we got to take Dave to the gift shop and All get him a right. polo shirt. <laughs> Maybe more disturbing but, but was, was seeing them in their tidy whiteys and banana slingers before, like backstage pictures before the show. Like
1: that, that is correct. You don't need to show us that. The, yeah, the bikini style, I guess, it was big there in the eighties. I don't know about now, but yeah, that was. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Too much information here, yeah. folks. No shirt at all. That's uh, fine,
0: bikini. but but banana slingers. <laughs> I'm like, eh. We're not at the Riviera. And even if we were, it's still not appropriate, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, unless unless you're about ready to swim the 100-yard for the world record. Right, yeah. Or something a little more than that. It's like, place.
0: oh, you Americans, you're such Puritans. Like, no, we just have some shame, and you should too, you know? <laughs> if you're a model, fine, wear a uh, bikini. If you're one of those guys, wear some board shorts. Wear some boxers. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> You know, the other thing you were talking about that that maybe this uh, album didn't land in the United States kind of the way that they would hope it or uh, hope it would or thought it would. I was thinking about that, too. There There is a lot of keyboard in it. Moonchild may be the most 80s song I've ever heard with that synth at the beginning. I mean, that could be the beginning of pretty much any sci-fi movie. And then there there are a couple of uh, spinal tappy moments in that. And I think Infinite Dreams is what I was thinking. But the problem, I think, in the United States was... In 1987, appetite for destruction hit, and once that happened, people in the United States were wanting straight-ahead guitar rock, mm-hmm. and you know, synthesizers. I think, I think this was just a little late. Maiden was never really a big radio-friendly band, especially in the United States. So right. I think that may be why this kind of fell a little flat here in the states.
0: Yeah, I, I saw, I, I've seen Iron Maiden. I, I honestly don't know how many times—seven or eight times—somewhere in there. On one. Tour I was on, and it was when Motorhead and Dio opened for them. See, I saw them in an amphitheater. Wow. Bruce, Bruce was in a bit of a mood that night, and and he said, You know, American radio fuck MTV and this was in the, the, the aughts or the naughties as they call them here uh, you know they're the biggest they're one of the biggest band in the world they couldn't be bigger in Europe and in England but in America they still didn't sell out you know they, they played big gigs but they could have played into 15,000 and only 9 or 10,000 sold uh, and if you look at the stats from even the Maiden England tour which was very successful it was the biggest tour they'd done in America in a really long time still you're looking at they sold 10,000 seats when 15,000 were available. Now, some of those are amphitheater seats and, and you're talking about, okay, so you didn't sell out the lawn. Who cares? But you know, everywhere else in Europe and in Canada and everywhere they go, they're selling out. And in America, sometimes it's only 50%. Sometimes it's only 75%, even though it was wildly successful. And I think they grossed like $70 million on the tour and it had the ice and the old set on it. That's great. They still never got any love. MTV didn't have headbangers ball. For most of the '80s, it wasn't until like the late '80s that they finally had that, and then they were doing stuff like hard rock, American, like you say. Once you had Guns and Roses and Metallica was starting to get a surge on one. Suddenly, right? Metallica is not this underground band anymore. They're they're a pretty. They're starting to get big. Yeah, you certainly can't put keyboards in with that stuff. So I never saw Iron Maiden on MTV, not once, and I never heard them on rock radio, not at all. So the only time you would see them was in a record store or somebody wearing a t-shirt I'm like oh that's scary what is that never heard of it give me my Aerosmith record I, I know what they look like and I know what yeah. they sound like
1: so that's why you know when we got I don't even know why we got a hold of this to the seventh son yeah, yeah no. just listening to it saying well how did I miss this
0: I know yeah well I mean I know why I missed it because you know it kind of got grouped in with the whole look at their album covers they're bloody they're satanic they're scary they were probably part of the filthy fifteen that Tipper Gore tried to get, you know, outlawed or whatever. You know, it was like something, you're a nice clean cut boy from the suburbs. This isn't for you. You don't listen to this kind of thing. But our buddy Rob definitely had a mental bent to him. I just went over to his room one day and of course he had some of these records and he had that one. And I'm like, man, that sound that looks kinda it's it's got cool artwork on it. I mean, but I don't know anything about Iron mm-hmm. Maiden. And he's like, No, man, these guys are heavy metal poets. You gotta check them out. They have great guitars. Plus we had Roy upstairs. Remember a little Roy Roy boy? Uh-
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from
0: Miami. Yeah. And he had Power Slave, and he was kind of a little metal head. And I'm like, man, mate, what? what are you talking about? And then they would play it for him. I'm like, oh, man, this is actually pretty good. So I, I let I got him to let us borrow it, and then we listened to it all the way through. I don't know if I put it on cassette or not, but I remember you and I just both being like, this is great. I, I can't believe we've missed this all yeah. of
1: our lives. And 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 the thing is, too, listening to it now for the for this show, the amount... Uh, the amount of material that you have to memorize in your head to play these songs and play them, between all five guys is insane. Just to listen to the back and forth on the guitar and the bass and the drums and, and then the vocal part, I, I just, and I don't think that I've, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a video that they can mess with, but like I don't ever see them making a mistake or hitting a wrong note or anything like that. I mean, these dudes are top of their game all the time with these songs and they're very difficult to play. I mean, Seven Sun clocks in. On the live thing, live um, video at 10 minutes and 11 seconds. Straight playing. Crazy. It's nuts.
0: Crazy. No, I know. And this is, this is whenever anybody points to, you know, because I love to stick up for heavy metal. When anybody ever points, oh, heavy metal is just a bunch of noise or it's just, you know, crunch, crunch, job you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, have you ever listened to Iron Maiden? Have you ever listened to how intricate and operatic it is have you ever heard a voice like this and of course they're like yeah well i still don't like it it's still not my thing (laughs) yeah sure it's not your thing okay fine you don't have to like it but you know this is also kind of a the culmination of the classic what i would call the classic maiden lineup which is still in line today except they've added yannick gers you know on On vocals is Bruce Dickinson. All right, well, let's back up. Steve Harris has always been Iron Maiden. He is Iron Maiden. There's never been an Iron Maiden without him. Dave Murray joined in the late 70s before they started to record, you know, their their album. So he's been on every single album. Lead guitar, Dave Murray. Adrian Smith didn't join till Killers. Dennis Stratton was their lead guitar player on Iron Maiden. And Adrian came Mm -hmm. in on the second record, Killers. But of course, the first two records were sung by Paul Diano. And that's when you get Bruce Dickinson in. And the first three albums were Clive Burr. So in a way, their first four albums, there was a different lineup for every single album, right? Because you had Iron Maiden. Then for the second album, Stratton's out. Adrian Smith is in. Great. We've solidified the guitar players. Then the singer's not good enough. we got to get somebody better. They get Bruce Dickinson. Talk about a huge upgrade unbelievable but so yeah so then he's on Number of the Beast but no, no, I'd like to
1: point out real quick mm-hmm. the first two records with Paul Diano. I think they're great first two records I don't I think Paul went as far as he could I think that he sings those songs fantastically hmm and then it was time to then it was time to kind of you know blast off into the stratosphere with Bruce on number of the beast
0: that's fair yeah. enough and and we're not here to debate the greatest albums or the best lineups or what was good yeah the first two albums had great maiden compositions no doubt about it they're finding their footing mm-hmm. a little bit there you're right paul diano did his level best given his talent, but, but Dickinson Correct. took him to the next level. So then Number of the Beast has a new singer, and then the fourth album, Peace of Mind, has a new drummer. Nico McBrain replaces Clive Burr. But then it's pretty stable for a while because then they have the big breakout, kind of a breakout album, Power Slave, with the enormous World Slavery Tour. Everybody was up for that. Uh, Then you have the, they're all there for the classic Live After Death record. They're all there for Somewhere in Time, which we reviewed on episode 37. Of course, Live After Death we reviewed on episode 14. And then they took a little bit of time to make Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And it's a concept album. Like, Somewhere in Time is almost a concept album, right? The concept is kind of around Derek Riggs' extraordinary art, and then they all kind of said, yeah, maybe we can write something that has something to do with that. But Seventh Son was like, Steve Harris called up Bruce, like, this is what I think after reading this book, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son, which was written, of course, by Orson Scott Card. I know everyone out there has read that book and are very familiar with the works of Orson Scott Card. (laughs) What?
1: This, this is me not raising my hand. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: yeah. Meanwhile, like, you know, Nikki Six is, is reading, like, you know, the back of a, ma- a pack of matches or something like that. Like... You know, Vince Neil is like reading the back of a beer bottle or the back of a condom wrapper or something like that. Like, you know, that just shows you the difference between like English bands and American bands. Correct. Uh, and so Bruce, who was left out writing-wise on the previous album, mostly because he was exhausted from the Power Slave tour, he didn't get any rights on that record. And I think he was worried, like. Am I just the singer now? But this time, you know, Harris is like, what have you got that could go around something like The Seventh Son, you know, someone with Second Sight, someone with Clairvoyance, that kind of thing. He's like, well, I don't know, but give me a minute and I'll see what I can come up with. And he, and he's back. You know, he's he's got, uh, you know, rights on half the songs, Bruce does.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, ba- ba- this, is, this is back to more of the classic lineup as far as everybody contributing. I think Dave Murray's got a couple. Nico, he doesn't write songs. He's just there to have a good time and mm-hmm. goof around. Be the uh kind of the glue that holds everything together, I think. But yeah, you got everybody else on here has, I think multiple writing credits so that's like I said you're back to everybody contributing on this deal and yeah you're right this was a pre-planned concept record which is kind of cool because they hadn't done this before and the fact that you know the big one Seven Sun at almost 10 minutes long they do live that's pretty cool
0: yeah and you know that's how to do live but, actually, but to your point though Dave Murray's a co-writer on The Prophecy and that's it uh, it's oh, okay so only. just
1: one for him yeah, but everybody else him. has multiple yeah that's right. know, of course Harris has his he,
0: he's in most of them
1: he's in yeah, most for,
0: all of them <laughs> correct that's but that's who he is he's Steve Harris yeah everything but Moonchild Harris has a piece of uh, including Can I Play With Madness because it, and here's the thing I've been working with this editor who does rock books and he's like look just because it's on Wikipedia doesn't mean it's true and if you go to the track listing huh. on Wikipedia uh it says writer Dickinson but in the story In the prose leading up to the track listing, they talk about how Adrian had a song called something about eagles on the wings of eagles or something like that. Okay. And it evolved into Can I Play With Madness.
1: This this is why I find Maiden very interesting as far as their writing credits, because I would think by this point in time, it would just say Words and Music by Iron Maiden. I, I have a hard time believing that, like you said, Can I Play With Madness. Dickinson wrote it by himself. Real, no one else contributed to that. No one else said, let me do something for you here. Let me interject. Mm-hmm. You know, Harris, I mean, maybe Harris, because he, he basically steers the ship, could do that. But I've got to believe everybody else, there's some kind of input from them.
0: Well, like you say, you know, uh, no one else plays the drums. Did you write the drum part for Nico? No. I mean, uh, now technically, legally, that's just arrangement. Legally, what a song is, is melody and lyrics. And everything mm-hmm. else is just arrangement. But, you know, some bands handle it differently. Some bands are like, all right, we'll just all contribute. We'll all do our own piece of it. We'll all bring something to it. And others are like, no, I wrote the song. I wrote the lyrics. This is how it goes. And I get it. Right. But, yeah, it was, Smith was working on a ballad on the Wings of Eagles. Bruce said, here, I want to change some of this to Can I Play With Madness. And then it became more of a rocker. And eventually he became okay with it because it was better. But, he, you know, according to Dickinson, Harris's addition to it that made it kind of, you know, the the break in the middle, Adrian hated that, you know, so y- y- you never know. It kind of depends on who you talk to and when you talk to them. But can I play with Mattis is a great yeah. single straight ahead rocker for them. And we'll go into it track by track a little bit here, but you know, it's just for me, it's this introduction to maiden, which allowed me to go back and listen to all their harder stuff. But just to see that it's not just this world of idiots, bunch of tattoo losers who just want to make a lot of noise. No, these are thinking musicians they just think about stuff that's more like uh science fiction, you know, or wizardry or the unreal versus like I got a fast car, I'm gonna pick up a chick, you know, that which is all which is what most of American heavy metal is. Listen to a rat album, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I mean that, that that's all well, they and, think and about, right?
1: Like we said, yeah, it's a little it's a little too it's a little too deep for a lot of the uh American audience, but that's fine because you know. We'll sit here and listen to it. And if you miss out, I'm sorry for
0: you. And of course, produced by Martin Birch once again, legendary producer who uh, I feel like he, he worked with a lot of amazing people. But towards the end, it was almost like he was really just working with Maiden. And he produced, obviously, the before these records and produced all the way through Fear of the Dark. And then he retired. He, he said, "That's it. I'm not doing it anymore." And he died. What 2019? Yeah. No, 2020. Died last year. The other
1: thing about this, the other thing about this record too, is that this was the last record that featured the classic lineup right. until I think what 2000. The Brave new world. Out, this yeah, this was the last. Correct. Mm-hmm. This was the last Eddie. That was the classic Eddie. The last one with the with the bolts in his head and the cyborg eye. Is that right? From then on, uh, no per, Yeah, no prayer for the dying. It's it's Eddie again, but he doesn't have any of the old stuff on him. It's like it's a new. They they and that was done by. Um, Derek Riggs. Riggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just wonder, was that conscious? Was it unconscious? I don't know. So this was kind of the end of the line for a while. And I know I was really excited when I when I saw that they got all back together, because that just never happens. And I, I think it just shows you that they really do like working together. It really does work all together. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they could make the third guitar work, I know uh, we've said this before, is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's great. You know, and and, and yeah, they used Eric Riggs throughout the 80s on all of their stuff, and no prayer for. The Dying The album after this Was the last one They did for them For a long time As we mentioned On our previous episode Number 37 On Somewhere in Time The artwork On Somewhere in Time Is unbelievable The fold out gatefold, Both the front and back Has so many Intricate little pieces To it and, and I think Derek Riggs Worked on that For a long time Putting a lot of that Stuff in there Yeah Whereas this one He didn't have As much time And they said Just give us Something unreal Something bizarre And something otherworld. Worldly. And he's like, yeah, so I figure I'll just, I'm always doing Eddie. I'm going to cut him off. Uh, he's not going to have, he's just going to be a torso. And he can have this in utero baby coming out of him. But he does, like you say, <laughs> he still has the bolt from the lobotomy on peace of mind. and You know, still has the uh, the, the bullseye or the uh, the eyepiece, you know, kind of thing. So he continued to evolve right. Eddie And this was kind of, I guess you could say, the end of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that was consciously or unconsciously, but it is is interesting to me that this was the last... You know for Smith for a while and then I think they it was one more and then on uh, Fear of the Dark they started using other artists mm-hmm. and I know we I know Riggs came back for a couple but I mean that's his ex- uh, exclusive run was going to run out also right and, and
0: and the world was changing like you said Guns N' Roses comes out in in 87 and Metallic is big in 88 you know and, and Motley Crue got got big again with Hard Rockers in like 89 and 90 with Dr. Feelgood and stuff stuff like that so mm-hmm. you know i'm in america now because we're americans and that's where we grew up that's where we learned all of this about rock and roll america it was pretty hard rock and the the hair metal quote-unquote which is kind of a pejorative term but the whole music industry had gone to these kind of hair metal acts because it's very much a copycat right. thing right oh you got new kids on the block well, let's get some other boy band out there you know we'll call them take that or we'll call them uh, the backstreet boys or in sync or whatever you you know, it's like, oh, you like guys with long hair making dirty rock and roll? Well, let's let's sign every single one on the Sunset Strip and and just push them out there, and we'll put a bunch of bikini babes in their videos, and you won't be able to tell one from the other,
1: right? That but, that's correct. But it Iron got Maiden's very, on their own. very quickly,
0: yeah. But but Iron Maiden's doing their own thing, and yes, being English and European, you have different sensibilities. You're exposed to different things, and the fact that they have keyboards and some of this progressive stuff, which obviously you and I have gotten more into. as as older rock and roll fans than we did when we were younger. This fills a pretty cool niche. It kind of bridges the gap between a couple of genres that don't bump into each other a whole lot. And obviously it was, uh, even though it may not have oversold in the U.S., it did pretty well around the world for them to be able to, in 2012 to 14 revisit all this, revisit the stage and the songs, and do really well with it.
1: Yeah, it's a testament to how people, if you're an Iron Maiden fan, you're going to listen to this. You're going to show up. You're going to continue to enjoy this. And a lot of times introduce and hold another generation to it. Also, we I got into a little bit of trouble on that. Uh, we can bring that up when we go track by track. The younger generation uh, likes to listen to this also.
0: All right. Well, I'll let you get into some trouble. That's that's fine, you know. We have to go a little bit, I don't think we want to overdo the track by track thing, but, you know, it okay. starts off with Moonchild, and it starts with uh, Seven Deadly Sins, Seven Ways, a little strumming of the electric guitar before it goes into the more synthed out part. Yeah. Again, I understand if you're a crunch, crunch, I like Slayer, I like Metallica, that doesn't sound like heavy metal to you. But then after they get through that and they and he starts singing and the guitars come in, you know it's heavy metal from there. Right.
1: Yeah, it, it gets pretty cool. And then, you know, when they get into the bump, 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 and then now you know, okay, now, and then the chicka, 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 I am, he, yeah, that's it. this is a pretty good song and a really great way to start this deal and kind of get you into the the story that they're going to tell. And they they started it with,
0: they opened Made in England with it, right? I feel like that's the way they, they started it.
1: Correct, yeah. They go yeah. That is the first one.
0: And it was how they um, it was how they started their show in, in twenty twelve too. I saw one of the last ones, the first leg of the American tour in Indianapolis, and then I saw them again in uh, Nashville indoors.
1: So in was Nashville. that when you saw them in, when you saw them in twenty twelve Was that a track by track redoing of this, or did they mix in some other songs? Yeah,
0: they mixed in. It. it wasn't like we're playing it in its entirety. It's not like one of those kind of things. I feel like it was was more like we're we're bringing the stage back and we're going to have big Eddie with the in baby behind it, you know, come up eventually kind of thing. But they also had like General Custer Eddie come out, like the big robot that the guys could fight and stuff like that on stage, who was in like the inner sleeve (laughs) there. was cool. Um, No, they did Moonchild, Can I Play With Madness, Seventh Son, which is kind of amazing because it's just so e- difficult to do and the evil that men do and i think later they may have changed it a little bit like they subbed out a couple of songs maybe they subbed in the clairvoyant somewhere uh, later in the tour but, but they did about half the album. And then, yeah, it was kind of, what Maiden does as we've discussed before, in the last 15 years or whatever it's been, one tour is kind of a greatest hits classic tour and then the next one is for a new album and more stuff from the last two decades. Uh, and, and this was obviously more of a, a classic revisit. And Alice Cooper opened for them, uh, which he probably doesn't have to do. But, you know, to see a 50-minute Alice Cooper or so uh, versus his whole thing was still really cool. I mean, you know, he's... He, he still has all the props he does the big shows Orianti um, the female guitar player from uh, down under was one of his guitar players that on that tour cool to see her so yeah i mean it was it was great and it got really great reviews in the us but i was just happy happy to see some of those some of those old songs again including moonchild which they opened with and then next infinite dreams I can't deny them. It's it's a Steve Harris right and it seems like it's kind of a mellow one, but it's got that sick <laughs> Harris bass in it, and then there's kind of yeah. a build up. And in, I think in Maiden, in England, Maiden goes "Here we go" when it's about to go boom, boom, and and yeah, get really dead, big and dead, loud. Yeah. Um, and then of course it gets to be a bit of a runner towards the end. It's a it's a great old Iron Maiden song. I'll you know I'll never forget this one.
1: Yeah, and, and it's a cool, it's a cool second track. You know, you, you establish yourself. Okay, here we go. We haven't hit the like the big, I guess, singles from this thing yet. But yeah, that's a cool second track. And Steve Harris, I don't think Steve Harris can write a song that's less than about five or six minutes. Like it's he's he just likes the long, the epics.
0: He does. He likes to have the time changes and to bring it back. And if you can get Bruce to do some sick vocal work on it, do it, man. But Infinite Dreams, yeah, great Iron Maiden song. Number three is Can I Play With Madness, which is kind of the big single. Shortest song on the yeah. record at three so, and a half minutes.
1: Here's the deal. If you've got the iPod going and you've got a, let's see, you must have seen, is it, say a three-year-old in the car, mm-hmm. Can I Play With Madness comes right after C is for Cookie from Cookie Monster. Right. And on this one, it, this is it's a cool Song. It's the it's one of the singles, but Nico is driving the bus on this one. This has got a sick drum part, and my child loved listening to this and kind of bopping his head and you know playing along with this. And then he went to my sister-in-law's house and they said, Do you want this was I don't know, maybe a year or two later, what do you want to listen to? You want to listen to me? Yes, I want to listen to the madness. And they thought it was like our house, Uh you know, like our house in the middle of the street, madness. No, 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 madness, madness. And, and my brother-in-law was can I play with him? yeah 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 that's, that's it. the one like, you let your kid listen like it's fine he loves bopping along the drums in this are fantastic yeah. I love this song This this was maybe the first I think this was the first one that we listened to off this that really kind of stuck mm-hmm. and the only, my only problem with this song is that the solo is woefully too short in my opinion
0: well yeah it's it's only three and a half minutes uh, so that you can't squeeze in an enormous solo there you can't trade back and forth three times like sometimes they want to do yeah but it was catchy they did make a video for it starring the late graham chapman of monty python fame i think it was one of his last real Appearances. I mean, I think he died within the next year or so, God rest him.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because he doesn't say anything. So it's like, I didn't even realize until somebody pointed out, oh yeah, that is him. Okay.
0: I know. And he had he'd had cancer, so he didn't necessarily look like his old self. I mean, still tall and, and thin, but maybe not quite the same vibrant character that he... And like you said, he doesn't say anything. It's just uh, him being the headmaster or the schoolmaster, the teacher there. I don't know how he got in it, but it's a great reminder that, uh, that he was great he's not with us anymore.
1: Now, this was one that we pointed out last time on the uh, Somewhere in Time album show. Mm-hmm. Would have been fantastic had they just animated the whole thing because there is some animation. You know, the kid is drawing the picture and then he points up in the sky and Eddie's now drawn in the in the sky, in the clouds and everything. Had they animated the whole thing, it would have been a lot cooler.
0: I'm with you there and maybe they will one day or maybe we'll just get some new ones uh, off the new album because the first one writing on the wall was incredible. I don't know how long it took him to do that, but however long it was time well spent, and I can't wait to see what else is on that. And obviously, that's what's inspiring us to go through some of our favorite Maiden records here. You get to number four, of The Evil That Men Do. Love this song. Love the lyrics in this yep. song. Living on the razor's edge, bouncing on a ledge. Don't you cry for me. Beyond is where I yearn. Great, great lyrics on this one, man. And it's it's a classic Steve Harris Gallup,
1: and then what I love is when they do it live and he said you know there's not no one's playing the crowd is just you know made in made in and you know Bruce gets on there and says the good that men do is oft in turn with their bow but the evil and then okay I know it's oh,
0: coming and he
1: flips out and yeah yeah oh, here we go They are first and foremost performers. You are going to see a show. They don't just go out and just, okay, here's another song. Okay, here's another song. Uh -uh -uh. I mean, they amp up the crowd. Bruce knows how to work the crowd. You know, Steve is out there pointing at people and shooting them with the Mm bass. They're all over the place. They don't just stand in one spot. It's phenomenal and the crowd is just I mean I can't even imagine you gotta walk out of there like you probably lost seven or eight pounds just sweating it out mm-hmm. in, the, in the masses
0: and what I love about it is Harris is he's not only playing there he's screaming all the words or at least he's mouthing them yeah. looking like he's screaming every single word to every single song whether he wrote it or not like he's a fan wanting to sing along with every song but he's up there foot on the monitor just jamming on that bass with a gallop, two sixteenths and an eighth, and sing along with the fans, he's having a ball. He's the man. There's
1: a, oh, absolutely! It, there's a great video performance. I don't know; it's old. I don't know where it's from, but he falls down. Harris falls down on his back. Oh, and he's still playing. Like he won't stop playing. And like Dickinson has to go up and kind of like get him, pick him up because he won't stop. to Get himself off the ground. He's just laying there on the ground playing his part. He will not stop.
0: That's awesome. That is a professional right yeah. there. It's like I can't put. My hand down to get up because then I can't play the bass. Can't
1: do it. So I'm just gonna and sit I can't here and do roll it. over because yeah, yeah. Until until we finish. And I think, what was it, there was there was a live record they did later on. It was either, I think it was a real live one slash a real dead one. Mm-hmm. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. One of those was Eddie playing the bass. And I'm like, you finally got it right. You finally showed everybody who Eddie really is. And that's, it's that's Steve, Steve Harris. Yeah.
0: And that evil, men, that men do was Smith, Dickinson and Harris. Just like Can I Play With Madness was the three of them. It seems like the three of them, they're obviously the most prolific songwriters. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they work solo. But when the three of them get together, they put out some pretty darn good stuff. Not, not that, you know, two of them or even one of them by themselves isn't great. Harris wrote Seven Son of a Seven Son. That's a solo write for him. It's an amazing, epic song. But those two before it, Can I Play With Madness, Evil That men Do, Real Runners, real classics and you know obviously became singles you can't make a 10 minute song a single that was never going to happen but uh, still a great great maiden
1: and that's and that's why i have a hard time believing even if you see these single rights on here that the other two at least didn't have something to do with this Mm -hmm. because by this point in time they've been doing it for so long I can imagine that you know Harris is working on something saying okay I know Bruce is going to probably sing it like this I know hey you know Adrian what do you think about this Dave what do you think about this you know get something else and they'll oh you know give me a minute and I'll work on it so I I think they were very collaborative at this point in time and just you know so tight that you kind of know what somebody's going to do when they hear this I know that I know they'll take it to this direction so that
0: moves us to the title track seventh son of a seventh son 10 minutes long i was gonna Um, say
1: get your get your beverage ready because this is this is a marathon here
0: and bruce even said i don't know if it was in made in england or if it's when i saw him play it more than 20 years later he's like this song is difficult to sing and i think it was even in made in england it's like This is hard to sing, even when he was in his late 20s or early 30s, whenever that was. I think he's still in his late 20s then. It's like, this is hard to sing, so you know I kind of got to get ready for this. And while he is a master at running all over the stage, and that ice kind of lent itself, you put it right over the, the speakers, and he can run around behind the guys and around behind Nico and really have his own space there. But you notice on Made in England, when he sings this, he's not running around. He's and he's got the microphone stand there, and he's standing up straight so he can build out that oh, and hold that note for so long more than yeah. once because it happens a few times within the song, and then it's seventh son of a seventh son. He let the audience do the son part because he's got to take a breath so that he can come back and do seventh son of a right. seventh son and do that operatic thing that he does. And then obviously there's that break where it slows down, you know, and then it comes back not. Not not different from Hallowed Be Thy Name or some other classic Maiden (laughs) tracks, but just an amazing song that, yeah, you know they're not going to do that much. For one, it's way long, Two, nobody can sing, nobody can do that song, nobody can, except for Bruce
1: Dickinson. Yeah, and, and the the whole thing with the, with letting the crowd sing that part, I mean, that is cool to sing along to and it's it, for the crowd, it's not that hard Seven Son, I'm Seven, seven, seven. Son, yeah to just scream it at the top of your voice with 25,000 other people yeah, okay, I, I'm into that.
0: So I can't, can't say enough about that track, I'm glad they brought it back, they haven't done that much they'll do Can I Play with Madness now and then, they'll do The Evil That Men Do or or maybe an In Infinite Dreams now and Then, but they don't break out Seventh Mm -hmm. Sun much because it's just it's just too difficult. They've got other long songs they can play.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you get you if you're doing especially if you're doing a greatest hits tour, you have to. I mean, you've only got so much time, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: it's hard to fit another, like you said, epic into that deal. And I think that this one was big, but they've got the other ones. I mean, everybody loves when they – you're not doing this and the Rim of the Ancient mirror. Right. That's just not going to happen. You're going to have to pick one or the other because I just don't have the time. And I think, yeah, Bruce, you'd have to cart him out on a stretcher after that, those two. It's too
0: hard. It's too physically difficult. And then you get to the Prophecy, the only days Murray co-write that he wrote with Steve on here. So th- this is the one that I kind of get forgotten. The Clairvoyant, I remember, and, and Only the Good Die Young to wrap up the, this – The album, are are pretty, look, all of these songs basically have the title track in the chorus or or somewhere prominent in the song, whereas the Prophecy and the Clairvoyant don't. So sometimes I let those two run together because I sometimes can't remember which one is which. Because it's not obvious based on the chorus, right? But the clairvoyant is the one I know better. The prophecy is the one that I probably just remember least well. Anytime we seem to do this, Jackson, there's always one song that's like, yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. And and for me, it's the prophecy.
1: Yeah, I I would say that's about where I am, too. The the problem is that once you get done with Seven Sun, you're tired. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just listening to it. And then you gotta, you know, oh, wait a minute, we got three more tracks to go here. Okay, so yeah, I can see how that one gets lost just because your ears are and brain are hurting after that marathon.
0: Right, and, and that's for the most part what happened. Uh, but Harris said he wrote the Clairvoyant based on a, a famous a seer, you know, psychic who died. And you're like, did she foresee that? Did she predict her own <laughs> death? You know, could you see your own death? <laughs> Um, who knows? Uh, but, you know, a lot of these are just kind of dealt with dreams. You know, are you living in the real world? Are you living in the spirit world? Can you see the future? Can you see the past? Would you end up in heaven or in hell? That's kind of the theme of all their albums in some ways. But it, it just they, they, they've pulled all these kind of themes together. A Seventh Son of a Seventh Son would have these magic powers and could see the future and the past. And you know. well, the,
1: the, the cool part about the Seventh Son is if you listen to it, it's like, yeah, so this person has these powers. Right, mm-hmm. and now are you going to use them for good? Are you going to use them for evil? And are you going to be corrupted by you know whoever is around you? And I can imagine that that was the way it was with a lot of these, like the pharaohs mm-hmm. and the you know the the old kings of the different countries you know you had all of these people you you've got this ultimate power and people are trying to pull you in all these different directions you know what are you going to choose as an individual not really an enviable spot when you think about it no no i mean
0: yeah especially back when you know one percent of the population can read and write well you could really manipulate the heck out of those people right so you're going to help them correct get up to speed learn to read or are you going to make sure that only uh, the people around you and the wealthy know how to read Right, an ongoing battle throughout time here, and then only the good die young. It's funny, you know. We used to make mixtapes. I had an idea that I would make a mixtape of songs by different bands that had the same title but weren't the same song. So not a covers album, not a you know. I'm going to have Bob Marley do "I Shot the Sheriff" and then have Eric Clapton do "I Shot the Sheriff." Like I would do "Round and Round" by Aerosmith and do "Round Around" by Rat. Uh, and I thought, okay, I could do only the good die young, Byron Maiden. And Only the Good time by Billy Joel.
1: I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, those two things. The title's the same, however...
0: And then I quickly realized, who the fuck would want to listen to that next?
1: to? It's
0: the dumbest idea I've ever had. But it's still on the shelf of ideas there somewhere. Nice. The funny thing that I learned doing research for this, of course, Iron Maiden has is, is always been big into B-sides. and um, They did some remakes of some of the Diano year stuff as live B-sides. Like they did Prowler eighty eight and Charlotte the Harlot 88, which I think were on the original like basement tapes that they did, like way back in the day before they even, you know, got signed. Okay. But but also did like The Prisoner, which was Bruce Era, but but still in Still Life, and you know some older stuff. They did Massacre, which is a thin Lizzie cover, is one of their B-sides, but the original Black Bart Blues was kind of about a suit of armor that they had bought and was in the Iron Maiden van that they picked up, you know, at like a cigar shop in Florida. There was like a few suits of armor available out there. And so they went and bought the black one. (laughs) But then it was also about a woman they met in Florida who was willing to trade, let's say, oral favors for alcohol. And I'm like, yeah, you guys were on...
1: Florida? Yeah, I'm like, you guys were on
0: Alligator Alley, weren't you? There are a lot of girls like that down there. (laughs) Were you at a truck stop, perhaps? Because there's a lot... <laughs> lot of people like that unfortunately um for their sake uh, didn't get whether there was actual transaction or so much it was just the story that inspired the song but uh, black bart blues another of the, the the classic b-sides that you can't just get everywhere anymore but i mean altogether this is a killer iron maiden album it has a Special place in the catalog. I know it could be a little divisive because of the whole prog nature, but this was the end of a certain era. Because after this, they decided to go do no prayer for the dying. They said, okay, let's strip it down. Let's not be so. And maybe that was under pressure from America, right? Hey, America's got Guns N' Roses and Metallica. You guys aren't that. You know, they got Motley Crue. You you can't do all this European prog stuff. you got to go back to the beginning. And that's why Adrian Smith left and obviously caused some changes in the band to come for the next decade or so.
1: Right, yeah, back to the jeans and black t-shirt and you know, just a ton of uh, wall of marshals and that's it. The the cool thing that I liked about Only the Good Die Young, this version, not Billy Joel, (laughs) is if you listen all the way to the end, the very end, he goes back into the beginning of Moonchild, The Seven Deadly Sins. You know, just re- just kind of trails off right. So it ties it together, which I thought was cool
0: Nice little reprise there at the end Right,
1: right, right yeah
0: Absolutely, no, good call, spot on, Jackson And, you know, at about 44 minutes I mean, that's kind of typical I mean, nowadays, Maiden will not put out an album A single album that's under like 65, 70 minutes And, of course, we're waiting now Their second double album in the last six years Just a couple of weeks away, really From the time of recording this Cannot wait But, yeah, it was after this that after a couple more albums, they lost Bruce and they lost Martin Birch. And they stopped using Derek Riggs. And the whole grunge thing had happened, which wiped out a lot of metal bands. And look, when I saw them with Blaze Bailey in the mid to late 90s, I saw them in a club, not in a stadium or an Oof. amphitheater or an arena. I saw them in a club. I got my ticket stub. Was like one of those little raffle tickets you get at like a Catholic raffle. Oh, you geez. know, it's like one 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 side goes into the big spinner, one side you put in your pocket. That's what I got for an Iron Maiden ticket, and I and I had to put in there like oh. this is not a raffle ticket. This was a ticket to see Iron Maiden at this nightclub with Rob Emerson. He was a witness. You know, I had to put that in my ticket book. And but the thing is, I admire them for doing that because most bands wouldn't have done that especially since they could still play festivals right. and bigger gigs in South America or Asia or Europe you come to America where you're you know you've lost a lot of popularity you've got a different singer let's just not do it no they said no let's do it and rebuild it and go to clubs and I thought it was awesome it was killer it was a fun fun night for us
1: well okay but you say that and I understand it wasn't Bruce it was blaze who I think he kind of gets maligned because it just of the situation he was in I, I mean I think he did a pretty good job on those two records that they did put out but how cool is that to see it in a place that small like other than that what was it like probably the early 80s when you would have seen them in a club that small right so just to see that up close and personal is cool
0: yeah and Yannick pointed at us at one point like we were kind of behind this thing I guess it was almost a bar we were kind of behind it like looking at the stage uh, and we're hopping around doing the thing. And, and, and he just, you know, did a cool lick and he looked at us. And we both pointed to him and go, yeah. And then he pointed back at us and goes, oh, yeah. And we like, yeah, hey, Yannick just pointed at us, you know. <laughs> he wasn't, he was like our fifth favorite member of the band. But it was still like, that's so cool, you know, to see him. <laughs> because then after that, yeah, I went and saw, I've seen him seven or eight times. I've always seen him in arenas or amphitheaters right. where they should be. Or, you know, if I want to see him next summer, I'm going to have to go to a festival with 100,000 of my closest, best-washed friends, which I'm probably not going to do. I'll go to an Iron Maiden concert, but I don't think I'm going to go to a festival because that's just, that's more work than I'm really up well, for. Well,
1: and, and the thing is, too, that you got to figure the festival is going to be a, a truncated right. set list anyway. So, yeah, if, I'm, if we're going to go, let's go and see them play their whole set, please. Yeah, when I saw him on
0: OzFest... And they were the second up behind Black Sabbath, and the second top band. They only did an hour and maybe 10 minutes. But then, because I saw them on a night that was back-to-back, and Ozzy didn't do back-to-backs, and Iron Maiden had to step up and then be the headliner, which they can obviously do, they still only did like an hour, 25, hour and a half. They still didn't do like an hour, 45, or two hours of Iron Maiden. It was still just a little truncated. So you're right. Yeah, you're not going to see the whole thing unless you go to a pure Iron Maiden show, which is obviously my preference. And as soon as we can, Jackson, we're going to have to.
1: Yeah, and I think even if uh, even if international travel is required, it's going to have to happen because... I, I mean, I can't imagine. They, they just put out the new record, or will be, uh, in a couple of weeks from this show. And I'm excited about that, but they can't have that many more tours left in them.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's what I worry about. You see, they're in their early 60s. For the most part. And what we've learned from most of the bands that we love, early 60s is not the end. For the Stones, early 60s was 15 years ago. You know, for the Who, early 60s yeah. was like 15 years ago. And they can still pull off good shows. But they're not doing what Iron Maiden does. I mean, Kiss is hanging it up at 70 because they have to. You can't wear all that stuff and fly around in your 70s. That's too hard. And doing an Iron Maiden show the way they do it, and they always deliver. They never give a bad show. They give a 100 110% every night for 45 years here. It's gotta come to an end eventually. Um, I just don't. I just don't want to think
2: about it right now.
1: Right. Right. No. I. I but at the same time, I don't want to be in the situation where it's like, oh man, I'll pass on this one, and then that's just the end for whatever reason. So my point is, get on there and get to it because just err on the side of caution. Let's put it down. And
0: I think once well, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know that COVID's ever going to be quote unquote over. I mean, if I, for at least the next year or year and a half that I can see, you're going to have to have some kind of COVID pass to get into a. Con- Concert. That's what it's looking like right. to me. And and so, which I'm happy to have and I'm happy to do to go through that so I can see my favorite bands again. But I don't know. I don't know how it's going to affect big tours and being able to go do six continents over seven or eight months. I don't know if Iron Maiden's going to be able to pull that off anymore in the current world environment.
1: Yeah, I, I'll be I'll be interested to see that, and especially those deals that they do down in South America, where a hundred thousand people show up, or you know seventy or eighty, something like that. Yeah, that's a that's I don't know if they can do that anymore with the state of the world.
0: And, and with brazil's reaction to covid and i wouldn't go to a brazil right now i don't care how many seats i can sell it doesn't matter I'm not going down there that's crazy <laughs> and, and i'd love to see them in south america the south american fans are so passionate and the and they they sing to the verse they sing to the to the rhythm you know they sing to the chorus it, it, they it's amazing and and they all hop up and down and like in europe you know they kind of bounce and stuff it would be great but yeah. i don't I don't know how safe it is uh, anytime soon. So that's our take on Iron Maiden's classic album, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. Classic Maiden album that actually turned us on to the band 30 years ago this fall. And of course, we're so excited about the writing on the wall and the new song, Stratego, and the new album, Sinjitsu, which will be out soon. We're, of course, very hopeful that Bruce gets a full and complete and quick recovery. So not only I can go see him speak here in October, which is when they've rescheduled his London-speaking engagement at Shepherds Bush, but also so he can gear up and get ready to lead Iron Maiden on the road in 2022. I know everybody's excited about it. It was great to reminisce about our college memories, great to reminisce about seeing them on the 2012 to 2014 tour where they brought a lot of this Seven Sun material back and the amazing stage that made it so memorable for so many people. So as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You gotta let us know. Reach out to us, contact us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack seventy-two, and you can let us know which bands and albums you would like us to review. Of course, you can download and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google. Ghana is very popular in India, and we're having a lot of success there. We appreciate all of our listeners there. But also make sure you check out all past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.libsyn.com. Next week is our 40th episode, and for that, I kind of turn it over to Jackson a little bit. We go back and review an album that was big for both of us in high school— was really important and seminal for Jackson in his appreciation of modern rock and roll, and that's the Cult's Sonic Temple. We did review their album Love on episode 21 because that's one I love so much. To me, that's my favorite Cult record ever. But Sonic Temple hit big while we were in high school, kind of broke them out of the goth or neo-punk and brought them right to hard rock, where they got to tour with people like Aerosmith and Metallica and Guns N' Roses and really changed their game forever. Sonic Temple, of course, having big hit Fire Woman, and is really the reason that they're still remembered by most fans in America. Very important record to Jackson, so we're going to talk about that next week. So that's it for now. All you rock and rollers all around the world. Until next time, be cool and stay safe.